Welcome back to the Change Construction Podcast, brought to you by Manager, the email management solution developed by Arab to solve your email headaches overnight. It's Joseph here from Manager, and today I'm delighted to be joined by John Loveday to discuss achieving world-class delivery on projects, covering topics such as understand how a client and contractor thinks, the role of the infrastructure project authority, and challenges to the industry. It would be great if you could introduce yourself to our audience, John. Yeah, hi, and hi everyone who's listening. Uh, so I'm John Loveday. I work at the Infrastructure um, and Projects Authority. Our role, we, we work at the centre of government. Um, so we, we're there to help support the government's major projects portfolio, which is about £650 billion of, of the most complicated and, and complex and largest projects across government. My background is um, I'm a commercial person by trade. I'm a chartered quantity surveyor. I spent 10 years out in industry building lots of uh, infrastructure projects around the UK, then 10 years leading large parts of uh, big tier one uh, infrastructure contractors before becoming uh, working in client organisations uh, with the likes of BT and Thames Water, uh, where I've had executive roles looking at operation and, and commercial operations. In the government, uh, my role looks after half of the government's major projects portfolio, and that covers everything to do with departments such as BASE, so that's the, all of the nuclear and energy and net zero programs, everything transport, so sea, air, uh, road, and rail, so things like HS2 and Lower Thames Crossing, and then everything housing, uh, digital and environmental, so that's all of the Duluc and levelling up and, and the housing agenda. Department for Culture, Media and Sports, things like the Commonwealth Games and DEFRA. That's everything to do with environment and farming. Um, So fairly broad, uh, fairly broad sort of portfolio that I cover. Definitely sounds like your background's reaching all aspects of the industry right now. I think you've definitely got to be a perfect guest for what we're going to be covering today. I saw in one of your recent articles, you discussed the process of being in a company once it goes into administration. Could you give a little bit of advice and a little bit of the story there? Yeah, certainly, Joseph. I think my learning is like anything. A lot of people look at something that has failed as, as quite a negative aspect, whereas, look, it's a brilliant learning opportunity. And I think anybody that's been through through that process, is, as long as they're using it as a learning opportunity, it's a very positive thing to, to actually go through. It may not feel like it at the time because it negatively impacts not only sort of personal well-being, but you know, people's finances and, and lives and livelihoods. But it is recognising that that any organisation, however successful, apparently successful, can relatively easily get itself into a difficult position. The organisation that, that I went through that with was a company called Rock PLC, which was a, a national uh, infrastructure and construction organisation that grew incredibly quickly through acquisition. Uh, we became, let's say, a national organisation over the space of a few years from, from quite sort of humble beginnings, uh, close to a billion pounds turnover, darlings of the stock exchange, fastest growing stock for a number of years in, in the sector, um, won lots of awards, lots of accolades. But ultimately, the learning in that particular experience was when you are acquiring and growing at pace, it's, it's how do you integrate both financially but culturally as well. And it was something that the business thought it had a really good handle on, uh, but didn't ultimately do it quick enough or deep enough. And it just happened, some of the difficulties that did come through financially happened at uh, at the same timing as the the financial crash and crisis in in the market. The funding organisations at the time decided not to reinvest, which in a a slightly more bullish period of time, it, it wasn't a huge 
amount of debt to service, but um, it, it was at the time they saw it as a decision not to reinvest. And, and the impact that had on you know, having to let people go, having to, to inform members of staff, uh, suppliers, clients as well. It was quite a sobering affair to go through that. But again, it, it strengthened personally my resolve to, to recognise just even a, a business, I say, that has had a lot of success and a lot of accolades. You've got to recognise the importance of, of the risks and, and the longevity of your horizon as well and what you're looking at. I couldn't agree more about that, the aspect of learning. I think we need to make sure we're learning from every angle. And even if you're learning from internally or learning from just looking at the competition as well. I used to be probably aware there's not a lot of companies who weren't affected by the pandemic. So I imagine we would have heard a few who didn't make it all the way through, but hopefully they've learned and maybe grown into new companies as well from that. One thing you also discussed was the importance of understanding the difference of how a client thinks and how a contract thinks. Could you dive a little bit deeper into that? Yeah, I mean, it's something that always surprises me how poorly understood it is. I've operated as a as a tier two supplier, uh, a tier one uh, organization, and as a client in, in various different forms and sectors. And I've worked in some incredibly collaborative environments and, and some that are not so. But it, it is very common throughout every sector I've operated in that there is a, a, a lack of understanding and, or a need for better communication around how organizations are a funded and and then really then what their purpose and objectives are because ultimately when you've got a client organization they're buying services in to help deliver their ultimate business goal so in the very best alliance and collaborative contracts that i've worked you've got the whole supply chain aligned through to those business objectives and the vision and the purpose uh, of, of the client organization um, but quite often I've, I've seen misalignment where you've got different reporting periods. You've got clients which quite often have a longer time horizon and in utilities, they may be, for example, looking at five-year cycles where much of, many of the suppliers are actually looking and, and working on annual financial returns and cycles. Uh, you've got PLCs that could be operating on quarterly, depending on their size, can be operating on, on quarterly returns as well. So it's very much how do you align not just the contracts and, and, and the commercial constructs, uh, but the people's behaviour. And there's been some brilliant examples of that over time. It's a little bit historic, but the one that I, I really that always impressed me and really opened my eyes to, to, to collaboration was um, British Airports Authority, so BAA, um, and their forerunners actually to Terminal 5. And then Terminal 5 was a pretty bold and ambitious departure from them and into a new way of working. There are various uh, views as to how successful that was. I'm certainly more on the, the glass half full uh, approach to, to that. So where do you see a lot of the breakdown occurring between like the client and the contractor? Do you think it's sort of like before a project starts or more during the process of it? It's like any relationship, actually. A lot, a lot of it's got to do with trust. And, and a lot of the theory, uh, management theory always talks about it. The first thing you've got to do is, is establish trust. Uh, and, and one of the barriers to that is, is procurement. I'll quite, I often use that. I've run many uh, national, international procurement functions, and, and quite often the approaches there can hamper some of that building of, of trust. So I think that it's important to get suppliers involved early. Once you've recognised as a client what it is you want to, to outsource or insource, because again, I, I think it's really important that you've got a, a clear direction and a clear rationale for, for what you're buying. And then it's very much around my preference is always focus on the behaviours, focus on behavioural procurement, 
focus less on necessarily that the contract is is important, the commercials are important, but they pale into insignificance compared to getting the alignment of, of behaviours. And a lot of the mature organisations do have an increasing amount of behavioural procurement and assessment as, as part of their bids. I love the comparison there of like the relationship because at the end of the day it is a working relationship you have to have that trust and communication or just to avoid the disputes at the end of the day absolutely because it's not if not an if something's going to go wrong particularly in, in infrastructure when you talk about mega projects it, it's when something's going to go wrong you know things happen and it strength of the trust the relationships it's how you react to those problems that quite often is the the mark of whether that program or project's going to be successful and I guess it also helps to minimise the risk as well. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And again, because a, a lot of, and it's one, one of the things uh, I, I hear so many times in the procurement world is we've done a really good job here because we passed all the risk down into the supply chain, which is completely the wrong thing to do because you've got to recognise who can carry the risk, who's best placed to deal with it. And ultimately, there's, there's normally one name across the door. and. Yeah. Uh, that brand and, and that sort of public opinion piece you should never underestimate yeah so i guess at the end of the day you can't just have all the weight carried on one shoulders you can't pretend i mean give an example one of my early interventions at thames water and my previous employers we managed to have a, a water main that burst in regent street and flooded cafe royale one christmas oh. um, which was is obviously not a great event fantastic reaction from the teams getting out there to to make sure that the you know the impact was minimal but when that appeared on the bbc news that evening and in the papers and online the headlines were you know thames water flood cafe royal which is not great but then when you look at the pictures there wasn't a thames water sign to be seen anywhere anywhere on any of the images because it was all of the partners that were going out and it was it was that thames water brand was the one that was suffering so it was just one of the visual things that look again how do you take responsibility in, in a world that, that is now sort of very media focused and very real time? Yeah, especially when everything's so public nowadays. I think there's Absolutely. no hiding a story. So I guess another great point to cover is what is the infrastructure project's authority? So if anyone wasn't aware of it. Yeah, I'm glad you asked. It's very well known in places and, and not very well known in, in many uh, because it, it, it is a government function and we do focus, although we have you know, fantastic links through into industry. We do very much focus on, on government projects. But ultimately, we, we report into both the Cabinet Office and into Treasury, the two main central functions of, of government. Our purpose is, we've, we've got a number of purposes, but ultimately we're there. Our strap line is nothing less than world-class delivery, which is, is pretty bold and ambitious, uh, but it has to be because we are dealing with public money and we're dealing with an awful lot of public money. So the current pipeline of major projects we're dealing with have got a whole life cost of £650 billion. Um, so it's a huge responsibility. So we are there ultimately to provide advice and support to those programmes and projects to make sure they are set up um, in the very best way to be successful. And that's not just in, in their delivery, but that is in the outcomes that they are there to, to deliver. Because quite often just building a new road or railway or influencing housing policy or farming or, or energy, you can focus very quickly on, on capital spend and projects and not actually focus on what are the benefits that the project is there to deliver. So getting the project set up for success, getting them to green is a phrase we often use is, is a key part of what we do. We are also the head of function for government for, for projects. So there are 14,000 
project professionals within government, which is a huge number. Um, within the IPA, there's only 200 of us, but effectively we lead that profession. We set the standards, uh, set up something called the Government's Projects Academy and uh, run and sponsor a number of courses to build people's career through project delivery. So it's professionalising the project delivery capability throughout government we constantly learn and constantly get better and there's been some tremendous work in that space over the last 18 months or so from from the team uh, the the other aspect that we do is advice uh well it is more assurance so we've got a, an assurance team which are out there uh, looking at the key stage gate of a project's life cycle through business case development and and really assuring with a pretty stern mandate to at each stage as to whether the project is ready to go to the next stage gate and effectively the IPA um, get to uh, get to advise Treasury whether to fund projects going forward and um, from one stage gate to the next and that's the annual assessment that we publish in the summer we publish that across the whole of the government's major projects portfolio and give every every scheme a rating and what that rating is effectively saying is from stage gate to stage gate are the projects ready and if they're not ready then what do we need to do to get them ready so they need pause they need reset but as i say we, we've got a very strong mandate from number 10 and the treasury to to act as that sort of arbiter for projects because by their nature what we deal with are, you know, are big unique complex projects and, and getting them right is not an easy task consistently Definitely sounds like we need it there. So I love the point you made there earlier about how we often forget about why we're delivering a project and sort of focus too much on the costs of it. So as well, you mentioned the use of like mandates. How can government mandates create new opportunities? The government is biggest client, the biggest influencer in, in the infrastructure and, and project sector. And so with £650 billion worth of projects, and, and they're just the ones that are on our portfolio, there's a much wider portfolio of smaller projects that the government departments deal directly with. We have a huge opportunity to, to influence uh, the future direction. And, and again, that's something that the infrastructure and projects authorities at the centre of. So recently, I said, well, I say recently, it's nearly a year ago now, we published, uh, jointly published the construction playbook. Uh, as the name suggests, is very much focused on the construction sector. And we do deal with many other types of projects as well. But if I just focus on that one for a moment, it's really there setting out how how client bodies, arm's length bodies and government projects should be run from a, a commercial and a procurement perspective looking at longer term arrangements, more collaborative arrangements to really help build and, and drive change in the supply chain. Because for too long, I've, I've worked in this industry for 30 years and, and there has been so, so much sort of boom and bust cyclical trading that has happened and very short term procurements on individual programs and projects, which doesn't allow industry to create skills, invest in jobs, invest in uh, in infrastructure, in equipment. And that's what we're looking to do as government is lead the way in that space. So, so we published that document last year. We, we published something called Transforming Infrastructure Performance very recently. And again, that's sort of taking the construction uh, playbook and taking it a step on further. So that's how do we influence projects generally? And, and that's looking uh, again through a different lens. How do we look from a societal benefit point of view? So again, it's coming back to what are the projects there to deliver? Not you know, not a new railway. It's there to to develop 
investment uh, to develop housing uh, for the you know, better of local communities. So it's, it's linking projects through to the UN sustainability goals and, and really the wider societal goals and, and making sure that that thinking is built in very early into projects. So that those are sort of very high strategic sort of type approaches that the IPA take and, and government supports. And there are, there are other sort of smaller elements that we will uh, influence things like the estimating and benchmarking publications that again we put out uh, back end of last year and early this year uh, again looking at how do we improve performance uh, across major projects and programs. Do you have any advice for people getting started working with government? Yes often people and organisations can be a little reticent working with government but all I can say is that the government is here to, to listen and to learn we recognise absolutely that we need to work with industry and we need to support industry and we're trying to create an environment that allows projects to be delivered successfully, long-term investment. Um, so we're very much here to, to listen. Uh, we do spend a considerable amount of our time working with external uh, organisations and, and making sure that uh, we've built in or taken note of, of organisations and sort of wider UK PLC's views. So you know, if you don't uh, hear us, then contact us because we're, we're here to listen, we're here to help. You know, yep. Ultimately, we want all of the projects to be successful. And, and we're covering everything from defence through to social projects as, as, as well as sort of the traditional infrastructure type project. Uh, what we'll do, we'll add a few links in to direct people towards the, within our blogs. Super. We often hear of the challenges within the industry ranging from the skill shortage to net zero. But what advice have you got for our audience looking forward? Yeah, it's not necessarily advice. I think it's something, those are two key areas we have to tackle collectively. I think there's a role for, for us in the centre and representing the, the government to, uh, to make sure we're creating the right environment that enables industry to, to then invest. It has to be a balance. It's got to be a partnership approach. So skills is a big area for us, big concern. Uh, it, it's an area we've focused quite a bit of our research and attention on is where are the skills gaps uh, and where are the skills gaps going to be over the next five to 10 years uh, and couple that with the, the publication of things uh, that we've again recently put into the public domain and we do each year trying to give industry a really good view of, of where where's the money going to be spent and on what projects. So again, we, we're trying to help indicate look, these are the areas to think about investment in. But skills is a particular problem. We will only fix the skills problem if we can move to longer term partnering or contracts because jumping from short term contract to contract doesn't give anyone the, the confidence to invest. Net zero is another massive challenge project and one that we're, it, it's a live issue. We've got obviously ambitious political targets to deliver and we are trying to hold all projects to account that we operate uh, alongside to how are they going to, to deliver the net zero targets, be that 2030, 2035 or 2050, depending on, on, on the sectors that, that we're covering. And how do we move some of those projects into to sort of net gain positions as, as well, both in, in construction or in delivery and uh, in operation as well. It's a huge task, transforming infrastructure performance. Again, I, I referenced it earlier, but that publication, again, is very much focused on those societal outcomes and the UN sustainability goals and, and how do we link or delivery of projects through to those. It's Look, it's not a particularly long read, but I'd, I'd certainly recommend people pick that up and, and have a look at how we're trying to, to drive that change as much as we can from the centre 
And I know that industry are, are equally very keen and are doing some fantastic stuff. I think one thing certainly we've got to act now and look forward as well. I think we get too caught up on looking to act later on rather than just acting now. Absolutely. And and, and that is Treasury have, have recently revised the, the, the Green Book uh, methodology for appraising projects. So both from ability of, of how projects are, are not biased towards uh, locations in the southeast but also from a environmental and a wider societal benefit point of view the tools are there it's it's like anything you know having a set of tools is great it, it's how we use them and how we hold each other to account so do you think we've currently got in place like the right actions but they're just not being accountable i think it genuinely joseph i think it, it's a huge challenge we you know we, yeah. we are trying to change the average um, government's major projects program has something like a lifespan of 10 to 13 years or something like of, of that order and, and again it, it's not easy to change the direction on those in a very agile way so we, we're having to push very hard and, and to really ask questions about look what can we do now and, and how different can we be and we've seen a brilliant response we've, we've got some really tremendous projects out there uh, and approaches but it's not sort of kid ourselves with how much there is still to do. Yeah, I guess that's a big challenge. We're having to like almost learn why it's on the job. Yeah, and we we consume huge amounts of natural resources, and, and again, so it's it's how do we minimise in delivery in design? How do we minimise the impact of that? Um, but also then in in the operation. I think technology will definitely play a big part in that. It'll be exciting to see what things we can start to expect. It is. I mean, look, digital twins are I mean, high up on the agenda. 5D and 4D CAD modeling, we push at every opportunity, the opportunity to replicate, um, to use different models. Um, so again, we've got ambitious plans around schools building, hospital building, prisons building at the moment. There is a huge amount of works going into to replication, but not just to, to offsite manufacture, but how do we build a template that, that is replicable over uh, multi-sites across the country and over many, many years. Um, so again, we can just get more and more efficient from a net zero perspective, but also from a productivity point of view. That's the other lens of we look through from the skills shortage uh, perspective is how do we become more productive? Yeah, I think that's definitely going to be a key aspect, especially when we're working at tight margins. Productivity is definitely going to be a big push. So a little bit of a broad question here, but what do you expect to see next within the industry? So what things are you excited to see upcoming in the next five years? I'm very excited by some of the recent announcements in uh, nuclear, for example, and uh, and net zero as well, because that that gives uh, some real certainty as to to the scope and and scale of of projects and investment. Those are the decisions that organisations like ourselves need, because then we can help uh, plan plan what happens both from a department point of view uh, and support their delivery plans, but also from from industry and the supply chain as well. We've got a huge amount of projects to deliver. (laughs) You could almost argue we've got too too many, but the the, the government has invested an awful lot of money in building the economy off the back of infrastructure investment. And it's up to us to to how we deliver that. Again, recognising net zero is very real and has to be delivered and we have to improve our productivity otherwise we won't have enough people to to deliver those so i'm excited but the challenges on doing all of this stuff at, at the same time is uh, it's always good fun hopefully you get a great christmas there because i can imagine 2022 is definitely going to be a hectic year for you it will uh, but it you know that and that's one of the brilliant things about working in government you do get to work on some of the very best and, and largest and most complex projects and programs around 
Yeah, as we mentioned at this before at the start of the episode, we said about how diverse it was working in government. So would you recommend a lot of people to have a look at a career there? Yeah, it, it's fantastic. It, it genuinely is. I've had 30 years in industry working in, in various organisations, privately owned, limited companies, publicly listed organisations as well. Government is brilliant. It's, it's got some phenomenal people and really dedicated people working in the civil service. I, I thought it would be good. I'm genuinely sort of blown away by the, the amount of talent in the civil service and also the, the, the commitment that's shown as well. And quite often, again, people are doing things that are unique they're one of a kinds they're firsts you know these, these are you know this is not something where you can just come in and expect to have all of the answers provided to you i think one thing's for sure you're definitely gonna be working on a lot of exciting projects because it seems like you've got a diverse portfolio of work there yes yeah indeed i don't know if you've got any advice you could give our audience just to wrap up the episode with it'd be great to get a little bit more of insights it's like everything speak up help challenge government help challenge how we approach things um, from a project delivery perspective from the industry point of view we need to hear the concerns the opportunities the pinch points the bottlenecks everything that is going on out there so we are taking a much longer term view and trying to get the whole of industry to look at a longer term view of project delivery but we need some help uh, in that and we also need to bring all of industry along with us as, as well. Oh, I love the advice there. I think one thing's for sure, the government and private sector both need to look forward. And I think if they're looking forward together, we're just going to keep growing. Indeed. Yes, we will. Yeah, yeah it's a very, very genuine, in, in this space, it's a very exciting time. Yeah, well, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today, John. Thank you very much for joining us on the episode today. You're welcome. Thanks, Joseph. Thanks.